What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Chatted Up Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Shooter, bringing you interviews, news, and reviews about all things Upper Peninsula. I uh, hope you all had a great holidays. Uh, it kind of feels like a long time ago, even though it was just basically like two weeks. But uh, anyways, like I said, I uh, hope you all had a very uh, happy and uh, safe holidays. Uh, we will start things off here the way we always do with This Day in Uper History, which is brought to you by the good folks at Pasty.com. That's P-A-S-T-Y dot com and the Pasty Central Facebook page. So here is January 14th. This day in Uper history. January 14th, Pasty Central Day in History. The 107th Combat Engineer Battalion of the Michigan Army National Guard had its beginnings in Calumet in 1881, serving with honor in many of our nation's conflicts. On this day in 1899, they mustered its men for service in the Spanish-American War. Most recently, the 107th sent 100 of its men for a year-long deployment in Afghanistan. Their motto? Good is done. On this day in 1888, the Delta News reported that 250,000 feet of hardwood logs would be sawed at Dollarville for the docks at Marquette and St. Ignace. Finally, in 1920, on this day, it was so cold in Lake Michigan that the car ferry Grand Haven was stuck in the ice three miles off the shores of the town by the same name. Pasty Central Day in History, January 14th. Another huge thank you to the folks over at Pasty.com and the Pasty Central Facebook page for making that segment possible. It's time for this week's interview, and it is with Mr. Matt Bartley Siegel. Matt is a professor of creative writing at Michigan Tech. Uh, he's also been a magazine editor, uh, and he is also a poet. And that's really the reason why I am interviewing him this week. It's because he is a finalist in the UP Poet Laureate competition, which up until a couple of weeks ago, I didn't even know existed. So uh, a huge shout out to Ron Rieke from the Daily Mining Gazette up in Houghton. Uh, he reached out to me and kind of let me know about this competition and um, let me know who the finalists were. And so I was able to connect with Matt and uh, we had a really great chat. So, you know, as I always say, the interview pretty much speaks for itself. So without further ado, let's chat it up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with uh, Matt uh, Bartley Siegel. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess we'll we'll jump right into it here and, and start off by letting everybody know you're not technically a youper. You weren't born here. You're a trooper, as they say. Uh, but why don't you tell everybody uh, where it is that you're from? So I grew up, uh, I grew up down in Montcalm County, which is dead center of the mitten, uh, about 55 miles northeast of Grand Rapids, due north of Lansing little south of Mount Pleasant where where you went to school. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was it like growing up uh, for you there? I always like to ask kind of people that to, to get a feel for for life, whether it be in the UP or, or out of the UP. I'm always curious uh, what that was like for you. Yeah, well, Montcalm County exists in a weird part of the downstate where it's sort of the, the line between the sort of industrial agrarian southern part of the mitten and then the more kind of resource extractive agrarian upper part of the mitten and um it's it's consistently in the running for poorest per capita county in the uh in the state it's usually in the running with like like Barriga or Ontonagon <laughs> county it's super rural uh it certainly was when I was growing up there although in in the the last couple of decades it's it's become something of a bedroom community for the kind of greater Grand Rapids area but my folks lived on a spread um, near a little town called Coral a location uh, called Coral Five Corners uh, our nearest neighbor was you know about a mile mile and a half away and and most of our neighbors were Amish um, <laughs> And it was just, it was, it was very, it was very back country uh, sure. for downstate. So, so <laughs> very reminiscent of, of lots of the places I've spent the last, last 25, 30 years of my life up here. 
Absolutely. I feel like small town life, no matter whether what part of the state it is, or even just the Midwest in general, small town life has very uh, similar, similar styles or views. Uh, it so does. I got a really good friend from graduate school. He lives in a place called Traveler's Rest down in South Carolina, up in the hill country. And, and we, we like to, we like to compare hillbilly stories. <laughs> Now, you got your bachelor's degree uh, from uh, Eastern Michigan University in yeah, journalism. Yeah. What led you to, to Eastern? I mean, you, you mentioned Central. You're, you're pretty close right there. What kind of led you a little further down the road? <laughs> I, I banged around a little bit as a, as, a, as a young man. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was, um, I was first-generation college student. My dad was a tool and die maker and my mom was a kind of a jack of all trades homemaker. Um, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, I had no, I mean, my high school counselor thought that probably, you know, the military was my best option. And <laughs> I'm sure I had a couple of teachers in high school that thought prison was the, <laughs> the next, the next best one. Um, and so when I, when I, you know, my folks were really vocationally focused and when I went away to school, they were, they were super interested in me having a, having a career when I came out. And so I actually came up to Michigan Tech and I spent one year as a student at Tech, um, started out in forestry and kind of moved sort of out of the hard sciences. And I ended up taking a, um, I ended up taking a creative writing class with a, 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 a professor by the name of Randy Freisinger, who was one of the one of the long list candidates for this year's UP uh, Poet Laureate, and Randy uh, it, it liked my writing and and was encouraging me to pursue it, and uh, and thus also kind of encouraged me to leave Michigan Tech because <laughs> uh, it was a much much harder much harder STEM school. Um, hard STEM, not a harder institution, but, but more kind of focused on hard STEM at that time in the early 90s than it is now, where we have sort of more robust uh, humanities and social sciences. Uh, sure. Than too. Uh, and so I ended up down at Eastern. I left tech and um, I was dating a woman uh, who was from Houghton, who became my wife, and she was at the University of Michigan. And uh, I, I couldn't go into English. That wasn't vocational enough. And Eastern had a journalism degree. And that made my dad happy because he, he thought I'd come out of college with a job. <laughs> so that's how I ended up at Eastern Michigan. Okay. Fair Ann fair Arbor and, and ended up in Eastern Michigan. You mentioned, you know, this creative writing course that you took at, at Tech, but uh, did you kind of in, enjoy writing from from a, a younger age, and, or did you really kind of find that knack in college and as you got older? I think storytelling has always been a big part of my uh, my sort of personal experience. And my parents, um, you know, they uh, had just uh, uh, high school diplomas under their belt. They were really kind of self-educated intellectuals they were always reading and and I was always reading as a result and I, I loved stories and storytelling and film and movies and television and and listening to other people's stories and we always had a lot of really good storytellers in my family and uh, I was always a damn good liar <laughs> I was a, when I was a kid probably too good for my own for my own good um, and so that was always, I, I feel like looking back, I mean, to the extent that we can look back into our deep, deep origins and, and, and see it for what it was, I feel like that was always kind of a part uh, and parcel of me. Um, but it wasn't until I got into high school where I started dabbling with, um, with creative writing. And then that was something that was just sort of with me throughout my 20s. Um, and it wasn't until I was out of school and I was working for a paper, I got a job in journalism working for a paper called the Center Daily Times, which is out in um, State College, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. where Penn State is. And I, and I spent some time working as a beat reporter. Um, and I just was kind of continually drawn back to the more kind of creative 
lyric uh, side of, of, of writing. And of course in journalism, that's, that's a no, no. So, <laughs> um, or it's supposed to be, right. <laughs> it's supposed yeah, to be a no, no. It's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, uh, I went back to, to graduate school. I went to Penn state uh, and I pursued my MFA in, in creative writing at Penn state. Okay. I was, that was going to be kind of my next question was the, you know, how you end up from Eastern all the way out to Penn state, but it, you know, with the job that you, you know, you picked up as a beat writer out there, everything kind of then you, you lined it up for me. You, you kind of, I think you knew where I was headed with it. <laughs> I was always, you know, from the time I was about 21, I was always following a woman. I was, uh, <laughs> my wife, um, my wife was a student at the university of Michigan in Ann Arbor and I followed her from Houghton down to there and then she she was a grad student at Penn State first and and I followed her followed her out to Penn State and she got the she got the tenure track gig at um, she got a professorship at Michigan Tech and wanted to, we'd had our first kid and and um, she wanted to come back up and be with family and I still had a lot of connections in the area and and we moved back up to Houghton in 2005. Awesome. Uh, and we've been here full time since then, off and so, on over the years. But yeah, I'm always, I always tell people, I just, I don't have an agenda. I'm just following my wife around. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, whatever works, <laughs> right? <laughs> so with, I, I mean, I know you went to school at Tech and then you, you left and then you, you're back up there. But I mean, how do, how do you compare that to your, your life? in in Montcalm County compared to like the UP as far as like you know your first big like weather season with like the snow I mean was there was there any like cult not culture shock because I, I mean it's it's still pretty rural I guess uh up in up in Houghton or Canby but was there any kind of like knee-jerk reaction no yeah I went out I mean we were we were outdoors people okay uh, growing up and and I I I was a loner kid I spent most of my time in the woods and <laughs> doing one thing or the other and so when I was in high school um you know I, I want I, there wasn't anything I wanted to do more than backpack and camp and and fish and and I had all kinds of romantic notions of of uh of being out on the land and and so you know being in the UP uh, in in many ways uh, w was just an opportunity to kind of um, turn up the dial a little bit on on something that I I you know kind of grew up being being immersed in and amongst and certainly the the folks of the of the of the UP are feel very much at home to me I mean growing up in Montcalm County I grew up around working class rural people and and uh, lots of agrarian folks and and of course lots of lots of Chippewa um yeah. Anishinaabe folks and and so so being up here is has is always to me felt very much like home I like that I, I like the the comparison that you made of kind of turning up the dial on a lot of the the stuff that you were already used to that I like that yeah. a lot I mean, I won't lie to you. I mean, anybody that comes up to the copper country and spends their first winter behind a Uper scoop is going <laughs> to learn a few things about their lower back. Yes. Yeah. That's that, maybe, <laughs> that maybe they didn't know prior, <laughs> but um, you know, I've, I've spent, I've spent more than a few winters in cold, gray, muddy, icy places and I'll take a UP winter any day. Absolutely. Over, uh, over over some of what the rest of the midwest deals with <laughs> in the winter time and we love we're skiers and snowshoers and and we're we're outside 365 days a year so yeah so okay so your official title uh, at at michigan tech is you're the associate professor of creative writing and literature correct yep, correct okay, so so what all does that really entail like how many how many classes do you have to teach or what really goes into that position yeah, I'm a, I'm a professor at Tech. I teach creative writing and literature classes. Um, I've usually got two, maybe three classes a semester. Um, they're usually split between uh, some type of creative writing or, or composition course. I teach a lot of editing courses. I have a, a lot of background in literary editing. 
And uh, so I teach a lot of courses in, in that. And, and then I, I teach a smattering of uh, contemporary or emerging American literature okay. classes. And then I'm also the director of the Multiliteracy Center, which is the is Tech's um, writing center. Yeah, so, I, that was going to be my kind of next question was about yeah. that Multiliteracy Center. So it's really just kind of a, like a writing center? The writing center, yeah. I mean, multiliteracies is just kind of a big fancy word to, to sort of include all of the different types of writing and storytelling that, that people engage in uh, and um, to try and you break down this notion that there's sort of one particular way to, to, tell, to tell a story sure. and there are multitudinous ways of doing that. And, and so it's kind of a fancy way of getting at that idea you had mentioned earlier that tech in the early 90s was a lot more heavily stem focused and obviously that's kind of transitioned you know as you're mentioning with the multi-literacy center and having a little more robust program is that something that was already kind of in the works before you were even there? Or is that something that's kind of- Oh happening? yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't even be, I wish I could take credit for any <laughs> of it, but that all, that all preceded me. And, and there's a, um, you know, starting back in the late seventies and, and uh, on through the eighties and, and into the mid nineties, there was just a, a, you know, sort of a massive expansion in arts and humanities, social sciences, um, sort of non-STEM STEM fields at Michigan Tech. And as tech sort of blossomed into a research one uh, university, even though we're still relatively small, we kind of have a little bit of everything for everybody. Um, and we still are very much a, a technological university. Um, I mean, that's, that's really, you know, even, even in my neck of the campus, there's a sort of a strong emphasis on, on sort of thinking in that, that frame. Um, and that's what we do, but, but it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a cool place to work. I really like it a lot. I, I can't, I can imagine. I mean, for me, I, I, you know, I grew up in the UP my entire life here. When I think Michigan tech, I think of math and science. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. I think, and I think most people do. Yep, so you know, to, to be talking about creative writing and that type of stuff, it's not really something you would normally associate with Michigan Tech. So yep. I think that's really cool. Um, who, who is it more important to have writing well than our scientists <laughs> and our engineers? Yes. They, uh, they have big responsibilities on their shoulders. And if they're not communicating well, Boy, we're all in uh, we're all in trouble. We live in a world where we see the ramifications of poor communication all the time. So, amen to that. Yeah, amen to that. Um, so, you mentioned that you kind of got back up to tech in in, in a teaching role around 2005. Yeah. I know yep. that you you co-founded Pank Magazine in 2006. Yep. Can you walk walk listeners through a little bit what exactly Pank is and how that all came together? Sure. So, uh, it's it's a I always feel a little strange talking about this because it's, I, I feel like for, for the vast majority of people, it's a super esoteric uh, and, and strange uh, cultural space, but Pank was a literary magazine. Um, we published poetry, short fiction, and, and some short lyric nonfiction, all literary forms. Um, uh, within the very verified frame of literary magazines, it had it had some success and was certainly kind of where I made my I made my mark on the national um, scene. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to have a, a co-editor by the name of Roxanne Gay, who uh, some some of your listeners may be familiar with. She's she's certainly not hard to find if if you're not familiar with Roxanne. And she came on board, um, and and the magazine really took off. It was it, it as a literary, you know, tech tech has never sort of historically had literary magazines. It's not it's just not within that wheelhouse of yeah. of science, technology, engineering, and math. And and uh, um, I when I was first up at tech, they had a little defunct uh, undergrad magazine that they kind of threw in my lap and 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 told me to do something with it. And I asked if there was strings attached and they said no. And I asked if there was money attached and, and they said yes. And then I, I, I met I met uh, I met Roxanne and kind of the rest is the rest is history. Very cool. So I gotta ask then why why pink? Why name it pink? 
<laughs> so so uh, I'm, I'm guessing at least some of your listeners will be familiar with the word pank. Oh, absolutely. Which, yeah. yeah which in the, of course, in the idiom of the, of the upper peninsula is, is the verb that we use to describe the process of packing down snow when we don't want to, when we don't want to shovel it, we pank it down. But it was also a term used in the mines up here to describe the process of tamping dynamite into blast holes. Oh, you wanna, okay. You want to just pank it in you hit it a little too hard and you're in trouble. And of course, if you don't hit it hard enough, it doesn't go in the blast hole. Um, and we really loved the metaphor of that for a, um, a literary magazine. It was actually an undergrad student. Um, uh, her name at the time was Megan Collier. Uh, I, I believe her married name, or Hess, Megan Hess. Her, her name now, her married name is Megan Collier. I believe she lives in the Sioux. She came up with the name Pank out of the blue. She was a, she was a, a born and bred youper and she came up with that. And we user tested the term. I had uh, writer friends and, and people in publishing all over the country. And as we were kind of thinking about the name Pank and we were shopping it around, of course, once you get outside of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, maybe some uh, parts of northern Wisconsin, and there's actually a little pocket of northwestern Pennsylvania where the word pops up. Uh, once you get outside of these mining areas, nobody had a clue what the word meant, and that ambiguity really kind of worked in our favor. It really set us apart. Yeah, I uh, I love it, and you know, you kind of touched on what I was going to mention of it being a very regional, uh, like youper word. Yeah. Um, the, the second episode that I ever did of this podcast was with uh, Dr. Will Rankinen, and he's oh, a sociolinguist yeah. from, oh. from, from the UP, but uh, does primarily, I think he's out of Grand Valley. And uh, uh, he, he and I had a long discussion about the word pink and a lot of other words that are really- Great word. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So No uh, word has ever treated me so well as, <laughs> as the word pink. Yeah. <laughs> now- you released your first book of poems on 2013 called This yep. Is What They Say, correct? That's the name of it? Correct, this is what yep. they say? Okay. Um, based on what I was able to, to get a few glimpses of a few of the poems and, and what's in there, um, it, it's really kind of dedicated to the people and places where you grew up. Am, yep. I, am I kind of understanding that correctly? Well, yeah, it's okay. very much written out of the experience of growing up in Montcalm County. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you were, you know, kind of a, a loner um, at, at times, and, you know, and you mentioned, you know, kind of living kind of out in a, a rural setting. It, it, from what I gathered, it wasn't at least in your younger years, always the, the fondest view of, of where you grew up. Is that fair? Well, I'll, I'll call it an honest view of, okay. of where, of where I grew up. I mean, in the, the work is, you know, one of the things I've always been really interested in as a poet um, and interested in, in in poetry is poetry's ability to sort of focus the attention on parts of life that that we either don't have an opportunity to spend a lot of time with. That's why we see so many poems about death or parts of life that we really want to celebrate. That's why we've seen so many poems about love and marriage or to focus on parts of life that we just don't want to look at at all. And, you know, growing up in a, in a, growing up in a place like the UP, uh, growing up in a place like Montcalm County, um, the, the narratives that you receive as a kid growing up, um, they oftentimes don't match what you actually see out your, out your bedroom window. And, uh, and, and you see a lot of ruin and you see a lot of poverty and you see a lot of despair. And, and those, aren't, um, those aren't super fun things to, to spend a lot of time on. And so in that book, I was really trying to come to terms with, you know, how do you, how do you find hope in a place that, you know, in some ways might seem kind of hopeless or out of, out of uh, situations in life that might seem kind of hopeless. Um, and so a lot of the poems in that book, I mean, they, they deal with substance abuse and addiction and, and physical abuse and, and, um, and isolation 
and uh, and mobility, uh, particularly, you know, feeling feeling maybe like you don't have a lot of it. Absolutely. And yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head, whether it's downstate or the, the UP. Um, I think it with that small town feeling of isolation and, and feeling kind of trapped in a lot of ways. Um, I, I, I think it, it correlates, you know, no matter where you're at. Yeah, well, and you know, really growing up hardworking class, and 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 again, you know, being being of of a mind to kind of think critically about these these sort of mythological structures that we find ourselves living in. You know, one of the things that always really bothered me was the way in which working class people were talked about, um, and that it either either sort of uh, turned into a cartoon. Uh, for the consumption of, of people in more cosmopolitan environments or condescended to, right? We're all hillbillies, we're all hayseeds, we're all hicks. Um, um, and, and wanting to, in, in some way, kind of talk back to that and talk to the richness of life in a place like Lakeview, Michigan, or Coral, Michigan, in the communities where I grew up, or in places like Centennial Heights, or Amik, or or Trenary, uh, up here in the in the Copper Country, that you know these aren't these aren't these places aren't cartoons, and 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 the the, the people who live in these places they're they're not they're not cartoon characters. They're real people, and they have they have rich, robust. Um, literary worthy lives and and i really like sort of speaking to that that depth absolutely and part of uh, of the few pieces from the book that i read my kind of takeaway what i what i kind of like kept going back to with with my internal not struggle but what i think a lot of people um from the up that are similar to me go through is in your younger years, as you feel that angst of being a teenager and such, and you, you dream of more getting out of that small, get out, right. You got to get out. And you're just like, okay, when I'm, when I finish school, I'm, I'm going to get out and see the world. And then you do. And it's not quite what you plan (laughs) because yeah, life, life happens when you're busy making plans. And, and then so many people like myself, you end up getting drawn back into that that small town, but now you're maybe a little older, a little wiser, nope. and you, you kind of have now now an appreciation for that small town life. Yep. And move a little slower. It's 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 an interesting kind of conundrum that I found myself kind of pondering over. Yep. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it that really inspires you? to, to write? I, I mean, is it, is it just what you see around you? Is it, is it family? I mean, what, what do you really draw that inspiration from to write your poetry? That's a tough one. Um, I'm not a fantastically prolific writer by any stretch of the imagination. I am, I am slow and methodical, um, in my work. And so I, it, it tends, the, the inspiration for my work tends to sort of exist in a, in a, in a, in a uh, the inspiration exists in a kind of multiplicity of ways across time. So usually I'm, I, I in, in initial versions of, of work, I'm really responding to some immediate um, stimulus or emotion uh, or, or, situation that I find myself in. And then as I work through poems and I work through the drafting process, things become increasingly formal. So I'm, I'm a poet who's very much interested in vocabulary and syntax and, and line and meter and, and prosody. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a tinkerer and I, and I want, you know, my, my poems are, are, you know, in the vein of like William Carlos Williams, little machines. I'm, I'm a, I'm a tinkerer with language and, and through the tinkering, the poem starts to very quickly sort of leave the bounds of reality and become kind of increasingly sort of fictionalized or, or mythologized. 
And then at that point, I'm usually in a position where kind of thinking about, well, what is it, what is it that I want this thing that I'm now holding in my hands to do? And that becomes sort of an additional layer of constraint to the poem. And that, and that process has really um, sort of evolved organically over the years. I think mostly just because I'm such a slow plotting writer. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, that was going to kind of be my next question for you because I myself am a, am a writer or I, not that I, I publish anything. I mean, I, I do have a, a children's book that I published, but I, I write on my own and I'm constantly going back and rewriting and redoing things and, you know, revising and, and all of that good stuff. And I, my question was going to be, if it works the same with poetry, if, if you're going back and changing things, or are you just, this is what I feel in that moment. And I'm going to let it live as what I'm feeling was, was really going to be my question. It's the full gamut. I mean, anytime I get drawn into a conversation about poetic process and craft, the, 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 the reductive uh, wisdom that I always feel compelled to give is that like, the, the process and craft of any individual poet is as unique as that individual. Sure. And any kind of externally imposed metric on how you create or what you create or how often you create is sort of somebody else's ideal which, which may or may not have any bearing on, on you, you as an artist. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I write the way that I write because in going back to your previous question, on the one hand, I, I can't not write. It's a compulsion. It's, it's, I've, I've always been drawn to language, even since I was a little kid. Um, and, and it's, and I'm, I'm the type of person who, like you and I meet on the street and I'm awkward and I can't get the words out of my mouth. And so I go home and I, and I, and I, I obsess about this interaction that I had with you yes. for a week. And then I get to write out how I wish things had gone and how I, you know, I, I, I write out what I wish I could say in that situation where I am more kind of articulate person on the spot and 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 so much of my own process kind of kind of comes out of that absolutely i i can relate to that very very much <laughs> um as far as uh poets uh what type of poetry or poets do, do you do you are you drawn towards that you like to to read oh boy i love i i'm i'm a i'm a classic poetry nerd i'm always kind of amazed i mean here we are in the united states of america ours is not a um i mean you get into a taxi cab i'm generalizing but like you get into a taxi cab in santiago in chile or or you you get into a a, a cab in in ghana like those are cultures that are very language centric and literary and people love poetry and they love to talk about poetry and in the United States, not so much. I mean, no. <laughs> you know, coming coming from a hard working class background, I still like when people ask me what I do, I have this scared little moment where I'm like, am I really going to tell them I'm a poet? <laughs> like, is that is that an okay thing for me to say? Um, <laughs> so, so it's it's hard. It's it's hard here you have to you have to own it in in weird ways i you know to be honest with you though i mean i i'd really i can't think of any other way to handle it besides just owning it I you mean, just gotta own it but that said i you know i'm a i'm a classic i'm a classic poetry nerd so i'm i'm kind of always amazed that poetry exists at all uh anytime i encounter poetry in in the united states i'm always sort of like wow, that's, that's, that's amazing that that exists. And, 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 and poetry is such an organically edemic uh, literature for, for the human animal. I mean, all, our, our language, our spoken language in particular is just naturally uh, conducive to verse. And, and so poetry is the language of mothers singing to babies. And, and it's the language of, you know, fathers, you know, you're, you're, 
lullabying their children to sleep and it's and it's the language of uh, mass marketing and communication and 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 we tweet in poetic forms and we post on facebook in poetic forms and so in some ways i'm i'm the type of person that that what just when i wake up and i look out on the world what i see is poetry but that said i'm also really drawn to like uh really um, crafted, uh, 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 hard to categorize poetics. I love the work of Harriet Mullen. I love the work of Audre Lorde. Um, uh, I like a lot of, you know, I, I, I still am passionate about Gertrude Stein, but I'm super passionate about um, uh, getting to know like Tyler Detloff's work, who's one of my uh, uh, shortlisters, um, who I, I'm just kind of learning about through the through the UP Poet Laureate experience. Um, I get a poem a day from the Poetry Foundation every morning in my in my inbox, and and I look forward to that sort of without fail. So so in some ways, I'm a bad person to ask like, what kind of poetry do you like to do you like to read? Because I'm the guy who's reading the back of a cereal box and I'm like, but this is poetry. <laughs> it's too. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. But I, I guess at the very least, it's it's interesting to get at least your perspective on that then, because I, not everybody looks at the world through that lens, obviously. So I'm, you know, I've always got a notebook in my pocket and I'm like, I'm eavesdropping on things that people are saying and I'm jotting down little turns of phrase or weird vocabulary that people are using. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm sponging that for, um, for inspiration all the time. A little bit ago, you mentioned in the course of your writing process that you, you tinker with words almost like they're like little machines. Can you talk a little bit about one of your newer projects called Simple Machines that you have going on? Yeah. So back in 2015, 15, um, uh, Roxanne was uh, moving out to the West Coast uh, to pursue bigger and better projects. And, and I was having a hard time imagining doing Pink Magazine without her. And so we, we sold that property. Um, and I got out of literary magazine editing for, for the last five years. And uh, I, I did some uh, editing. I did some review editing for a, a place called Words Without Borders for a while, and I really enjoyed that working with like literature and translation, and and uh, you know poets and writers uh, working outside of the sort of the American English bell jar. Um, but I I just I missed it. I missed literary editing. I missed the I missed the um, I missed the creative aspect of bringing something just really tactile and artifactual into the world. But more importantly, I really, really missed providing a platform for younger or more emerging poets or poets who were maybe working uh, in, in, a, in a form or with a topic that, that wasn't going to go easily into the poetry review or, or into plowshares. I, I loved providing a platform for that kind of work and I missed that. And I missed there being a, a literary magazine at Michigan Tech. Um, and so uh, a group of, of colleagues and I sort of hatched this idea for a new literary magazine. It's called Simple Machines. Uh, it's a letterpress, poetry letterpress. Um, we are currently accepting submissions for our very first issue, which will be out at some point this spring. Um, uh, we're, we are employing guest editors. So the way the magazine will work is that each guest editor that comes in will have an opportunity to kind of craft the aesthetic of the issue that they're editing for. They'll write the call for submissions. They'll help select the poets who we're going to publish. They'll uh, collaborate and sort of uh, uh, figuring out what the artifact, what the actual physical magazine will look like. And then they'll uh, uh, invite or nominate uh, a new guest editor 
who will be the next in line and come in and we'll repeat that process with the idea that each iteration of Simple Machines will sort of be this brand new uh, poetry magazine. First issue should be out sometime this spring, you know, if, if the plague doesn't uh, screw <laughs> stuff up for us anymore, you know, there's are more coups or, or, or <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, and then, uh, uh, you know, we'll probably put out two issues, uh, two issues a year, and uh, it's just really kind of a labor of love. And I love literary magazines. I've been I've been dinking around with literary magazines since I was an undergrad in college, and and I just have never lost the the passion for them. Well, and you know, number one, it's a cool idea, but number two, you've got another cool name for a magazine at a technological university. I mean, that just goes hand in glove. I mean, it does. Yeah, I did not have to work nearly as hard selling the idea of a literary magazine called Simple Machines as I did selling one called Pank. <laughs> Even though the Pank is still like near and dear uh, to me, it's it's the magazine still exists. It's out in the world. Um, uh, doing its thing. Sure. Uh, but Simple Machines is, uh, I, I think it's going to, I think it's going to find a good home at Michigan Tech. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've, we've kind of touched or scratched the surface a couple of times about the, the UP uh, Poet Laureate competition, which yep. you are, are a finalist of this competition. Yep. Um, can you uh, explain uh, what exactly this this competition is? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, I uh, the 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 man that you have to talk to if you want to learn all about the ins and outs of the UP Poet Laureate uh, is 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 Ron uh, yep. Ron Reiki. Um, and I, I can't give you, I, off the top of my head, I really can't give you good firm dates. I think it's been about five years, okay. six years maybe, that the UP Poet Laureate um, has been in existence. Uh, there was at that time no State of Michigan Poet Laureate. Okay. I don't know off the top of my head if we have one now or not. Okay. I don't think we do, but your listeners will go and search, <laughs> sure. search the Google for that. Is um, it something that like that you yourself enter yourself into or do you get nominated? No, no. So, so Ron, Ron kind of stepped into the breach and was like, there's no Michigan poet laureate, but we're going to have a UP poet laureate because that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and so Ron sort of devised this whole mechanism for, local libraries and and English teachers, secondary school, uh, university English teachers, uh, literature folks, uh, bookstore owners, and other sort of sundry literary provocateur personalities around the UP who could sort of nominate names. And then over the years, the selection process, I believe, has sort of taken um, slightly different forms. But, but this year, they compiled this, this committee that Ron runs, compiled a list of 10 names. Um, and, and we had a reading, and there was a voting um, process where people could kind of vote for their favorite uh, poets from the UP and that process between the reading and the committee and the and the, the voting winnowed it down to five and now um, uh, apparently there's there's a, a sort of another committee that's being formed and again I, I believe it's made up of local librarians and well not local but UP regional yeah, librarians, bookstore owners, and 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 folks working in literature programs at the universities who are working to kind of hone this list down. But it really is. I mean, it's um, uh, I I, I say this because I think it's actually a really good thing. Uh, it's a little bit of a wild west type of operation. Ron made something out of nothing. Um, and, and for, for the intervening years, we've, we've had these just really wonderful, uh, poets, 
Um, uh, Russell Thorburn was the first uh, UP Poet Laureate. And then, um, uh, uh, why am I, I'm, of course I'm blanking on her name. Um, I'll think of it in a second. And then Marty, um, uh, who's been the Poet Laureate for the last, uh, the last couple years. And they've just done amazing things with the position and done just lots of education and outreach and, and really raised the profile of the poetry community in the Upper Peninsula in, in just, just really great ways. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I believe this, this competition, uh, Ron had told me that um, I think it'll be decided mid-February, I think he said, is when the final vote's going to take place. But yeah. that was going to be my next question for you is, okay, so if you win this, what are like your duties or what kind of goes into being like the winner of, of the UP poet laureate competition? You know, all three of the preceding uh, poet laureates have done sort of radically different things with the position. Um, and I, I don't think there's really a set expectation for what a poet laureate does. And if you look around the country, if you look at, you know, the Poet Laureate of Queens or the Poet Laureate of Indiana or the Poet Laureate of Seattle, you see, or Poet Laureate of the United States, right, you see people doing a, a whole host of different um, different things. You know, I, I think uh, were I to be graced with the, the crown of the UP Poet Laureate, I, I really think my, my, my first uh, my first action would be to organize readings around the UP to really bring to the attention of UPers the sort of wealth of the literary community that's in their midst. And not just at the local library or at the within the MFA program in Northern Michigan, which are kind of obvious mm -hmm. places, but to, to get into some of the corners of the UP where there's there's still a, a love and a passion for poetry and for literature, but you know, that might not otherwise see someone like the like the poet laureate. And I'm not exactly sure how that would work. Um, but uh, the idea of highlighting UP poetry and spotlighting UP poets and bringing that bringing that to to the people of the UP, um, I, I I think would be a profoundly gratifying experience. Yeah, I I think that that's an awesome idea and definitely something that's certainly a, a, a void that could be filled. Um, Early on in our conversation, you kind of mentioned that you've been kind of traipsing around the UP for what oh, almost twenty years, or maybe a little more than that now. Yeah, um, yeah, it's been it's been uh, I'm pushing thirty. Oh, okay. That, that I've been uh, in some capacity, kind of living, working, or or bumming around the UP. What do you What do you enjoy most about the Upper Peninsula? <laughs> I can walk out my back door and not see anybody. <laughs> 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 That's what I enjoy the most. I, I, I. How much longer do you have for me to tell you the things that I uh, that I love about this place and, and that I find so powerful about this place? I mean, the landscape. Yes, uh, living in the Keweenaw Peninsula. Um, you know, so so close to some of the most ancient geology on the face of the planet and within spitting distance of of Lake Superior um, which is just an absolutely uh, I, I, it's a it's a spiritual kind of experience to live uh, on the shores of Lake Superior um, and to live in such a rich kind of cultural community you know to be really to be really in the in the in the heart of, of Anishinaabe country um, and to be able to sort of experience that culture and to to experience the the richness of Anishinaabe Moan, the Ojibwa language, and and then the you know the the settler history of of this area, the Finnish and the and the Cornish and the Irish and the Italian immigrants that came here and 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 made this place their home on on Ojibwa land, and then the way in which those cultures came together. I mean, it's just such a unique and fascinating uh, confluence of flora and fauna and geography and hydrology and 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 culture and peoples and languages um, that that you don't you don't find in a in a physical environment like we have here too often and it's just absolutely magical 
Absolutely. You might even say it's poetic. It's a little poetic. I mean, <laughs> you can write a poem about the UP if you wanted to, <laughs> I suppose. Matt, we've hit like all of the boxes that I, I, I checked them all off of stuff that I wanted to talk about. Is there anything you feel like I left out or anything else you wanted to touch on or, or, or just chat about with me? Well, I could read a poem for your... Uh... I that would be wonderful. In fact, I was going to actually ask you about that. If, if you have one there that you'd like to read, I, I would love for you to do that. Well, I'll, I'll, do, uh, I'll do two quick ones Great. Uh, that, are, that are both UP poems and uh, two of my favorites. I'll start with the sadder of the two, but we'll end with a love poem. Okay. Um. So uh, this is a poem that appeared, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago, maybe, in a, a anthology called a Great Lakes Poetry Anthology, Waters Deep. And it's called Wave After Wave. Uh, some of you will remember the November storm that we had in the fall of 2017. And this poem's kind of about that, amongst other things. Wave after wave. Dawn, a lit fuse. The radio man says, bombogenesis, like agates tumbling from a jar. System as meteorite off whitefish point. In other words, Water links lathered up in red. In a heartbeat, molar, rollers mass, two stories trough to insatiate tempest, unquelled by prayer nor cigarette, careless, mean, a cold-blooded indifference so pure a strong swimmer won't last 10 wet minutes. At the Keweenaw, surf pummels the stamp sand with ochre fists. Oar boats stack up lee of the stone, and entire beaches stand up to walk away. At Marquette, two lovers walk onto black rocks, sacrificial lambs. Their bodies will never be recovered. That was That's beautiful. Wave, wave after wave. Thank you. I went out. I was actually teaching. A, I was teaching a poetry workshop to graduate students and on my way into class, I had the radio on and I heard the, the, um, the weather report. And I had to, I told my students, I have to end class early because I want to drive out to the, uh, to the, um, uh, to a place called Red Ridge in the, in the Keweenaw. And I want to watch the, the, the mass come in and watch the waves come in. And it was really, it's, if you've ever seen a storm like that blow in off Lake Superior, it's really a pretty terrifying and, and awe inspiring experience. And then when I was done sort of watching this, this natural show, I got back in the car and turned the radio back on. And I heard about those two poor folks in Marquette and, yeah. and that poem, that poem followed shortly thereafter. Do you have time for one more? Absolutely. I do. I do. Yes, please, one more. Then I'm going to end with a sauna poem. Yeah, okay. And uh, uh, also a, a love poem for my wife. This one uh, appeared in a 2018 issue of Thrush Poetry Journal. It's called Birch Oil Smoke Pine Tar Switch. This is the one I was hoping you were going to read. Oh, <laughs> good. Is my, of, of your stuff, this is my favorite, so. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mine too, it's one of my favorites. Birch oil smoke pine tar switch. Sweat beads above her trapezius scar, coalescing to rivulet down her torso, past the mole I've claimed my own, stone amid the gathering rush. She reaches for the pine bucket of water, Mother Superior in her dipping spoon, then quick wrist flick at the rocks atop the stove, white hiss of steam mushrooming, rising up to the low ceiling before circling round, settling like nettles along the low bench. Cedar walled, lost in cloud bank, 
each of us a gathering wordless storm. We do drop and breach in long arcing inhalations of lung and heart, time and memory. Slow now. Patience, stamina, suffering, charge. Another time, shore and sauna, she slipped on wet tile and fell atop a wood stove. Searing metal, branding deep into her a burn so bad it did not even hurt, leaving her the scar shaped like Michigan's Upper Peninsula, a sign. This day, this afternoon, our 10,000 secrets between us, reflections mirrored perfect in the ice-cold blue of the pond outside, as close as I'll come to church, birch oil, smoke, pine tar, switch, ritual cycle of fire and sweet water, as close as I'll come to God, her body, gold, red maple leaves falling. <laughs> I'm glad I'm really glad that you read that one because like I said that one is my my favorite so thank you the next um, book is all youper poems I've, <laughs> I've been uh I I I'm I'm always writing about place and and I've been I've been working and tinkering and and futzing around with this this book for for the last yeah, at least six years and and I expect to have it out here and at least to a publisher in the, in the next six months or so. And those two poems will be in that book. And awesome. And, and they're, they're very much, they're very much poems from the UP. They are, they are. Uh, I look forward to, to the day that that comes out. Um, so I guess I have to wrap this up with you the same way I wrap up every single episode. And that's to ask you, I know now. <laughs> you know, now, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, how do you like your pasty? So I'm going to be controversial here and, and I'm going to say that eating a pasty with gravy is an abomination. <laughs> the only way to eat a pasty is with ketchup. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think that that's that controversial. Most, most youpers that I know are, 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 you know, dyed in the wool ketchup. There's always somebody out there that is, wants gravy and you can't fix people. It's, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm maybe uh, I'm getting soft in my old age, but I, I really don't mind a, a gravy on a pasty. I like ketchup. I prefer ketchup, but I don't mind gravy. Uh, I'll I've never it. met a pasty. I didn't like exactly. I, I, I prefer mine with ketchup, but I will happily <laughs> snuffle one down with, right? with gravy any day of the week. And if you're in Houghton, my personal favorite is from the Sumi restaurant in Houghton. The, the copper country is chock-a-block uh, shore to shore with great pasties, but I, I really love mine from the, from the Sumi. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you again for coming on the podcast. This has been it was really a real great. pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. It was a real treat. And that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode. Another huge thank you to Matt for taking the time to sit down and chat with me and also for sharing some of his poetry at the end of the interview. That was definitely a highlight for me. Um, I'm really glad that we were able to to make this interview happen and that I can use the podcast to kind of help shine a light on something that I think maybe a lot of people across the UP are, are similar to me that you didn't even know this competition existed. Um there are so many talented creatives all across the Upper Peninsula, whether it's poetry or writing or musicians or painters or artists. I mean, the list goes on and on, but there are so many creatives across the UP. And I think just given the geography of the UP, it, it gets difficult to maybe shine a light on, on some of those people. So I'm really happy that through this interview, we're able to kind of shine a light on on not only Matt but also the competition in general because I'm a, a huge proponent of, of any creative arts so okay a little housekeeping per usual um, I always want to hear your feedback so please don't hesitate to reach out to me drop me a line you know maybe give me a suggestion on somebody else that I should be interviewing uh, you can email me at chattituppod at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just type in the Chatted Up Podcast and you should be able to find me. 
Uh, also, please, wherever it is that you're listening in, uh, if you could subscribe, rate, and leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. That's how we uh, increase the visibility of the podcast. So other than that, uh, I'm your host, Shooter, reminding you to keep your chin up and your eyes forward. <laughs>